So in Luke 24, at the very end, Luke, the physician, who is not a Jewish man, one of the only writers in the New Testament who is not Jewish, he did not walk amongst Jesus. He didn't live with Jesus. He, he came to know Christ through the ministry, likely, of, of Paul and the disciples. Uh, as he came to heard the message, God gifted him with this ability to research and to study and to interview to where today he's held as a, as a historian. If you take his two books that he wrote, he, he wrote about a third of the New Testament. Everybody accredits Paul with how much of the New Testament Paul wrote. But he wrote real short little books, and you add them all together, there's a lot of little books. But if you just take, like, words, Luke wrote a lot of words. And he done careful study that we might know the exact truth of what happened. He interviewed all people, researched the facts. And in the beginning of Luke, we see that he wrote it out in chronological order that we could know the exact truth. We're ending his first part, which is Luke. He continues in the book of Acts. And in the first chapter of Acts, there's, there's a little bit of overlap. And, and they kind of, it's kind of like a puzzle piece where they link together. So he refreshes his reader of where, where he left off and then continues forward. Now at this place in verse 44 where we, we pick up in our study, and Jesus was executed. He lived his life. He was arrested, found guilty of blasphemy. The blasphemy was that he claimed to be the Messiah. So it wasn't blasphemy. He was actually God in the flesh. He had um, been convicted. It wasn't that they took him. It's that he gave his life for us to be the perfect atonement for sin. He was buried. On the third day, he rose. He walked the next 40 days, showed himself to people, let people touch him. And on the last day, that last 40th day, as he's about to ascend into heaven, he says this to his disciples. Now he said to them, These are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this word. We ask for your help now. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. So as Jesus is about to depart from them, I find it fascinating that where he goes, the last thing that he wants to to say to them, he takes them to the scriptures. This is the foundation. This is everything. Today I'm going to quote much from Alistair Begg because I went to a conference with Josh Sunday through Wednesday, and we were there, and Alistair Begg was the main teacher, and so we walked with him. So I've got all of these quotes from this, the, the preaching leprechaun, as I affectionately refer to him, because he's from Scotland. And he, I just like pay better attention when somebody has a cool accent. 
And he speaks in a different way, so it kind of forces you to ponder what he says. And as he was there to this group of pastors, one of the things he said is he'd hold up his Bible and he said, listen, this is our rudder or tiller. This is what guides the church. You teach it. You're under its authority. You're the helmsman. But it's the word that guides us. And Jesus, this was the same. This is the precedence that Jesus starts with. And in verse 44, he, he says, these are my words, which I spoke to you while still with you, that these things which were written about me, what things were written about me? He, he goes to the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. The Old Testament, the scriptures which they held. And he said, he begins teaching from the Bible and says these things had to be fulfilled. The whole idea of Jesus the Messiah coming, giving his life, being buried, rising again, this isn't new news that sort of, God made up on the spot as Jesus came, as he lived his life. He said, ooh, 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 ooh. uh-oh, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that he would be arrested, that he wouldn't be well-received, and that they're going to crucify him on the cross. The, the Jewish people might have missed it because they looked to the second coming of Christ, the Messiah, when he's still going to come to rule and to reign. But Jesus reminds them after his resurrection, he says, let's go back. Let me, let me show you Isaiah 53, Psalm 2, all of these things in the scriptures that point to what happened. And I love verse 45, that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Like, suddenly they got it. They had their aha moment. They, they came to understand what, what the big picture. And God was preparing this tremendous work through them to carry out his message. These 11 guys, these these really these vagabonds, these fishermen, deadliest catch, one of my favorite shows. These guys aren't like, fishermen are not polished men. They're rough, tough, hardy, resilient tax collectors. These 11 guys that remain that he's about to do these, these great things through. He opens their mind. And what he says to them in verse 46, it's written that the Christ, that's Greek for the Hebrew term Messiah, would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. He's saying, listen, the gospel, the good news of Christ is about to go out. Starting in Jerusalem. Now, it says in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. When Luke kind of correlates these two things in the beginning of Acts, in Acts 1.8, he tells them, he says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the outermost part of the earth, that the gospel would go forth. We're actually on the wrong side of the earth. Like, we're over here now, and now we're taking it back. We're, we're continuing this message, this, this witnessing of who Christ is. And the good news is so good because it's life transformation. I so struggled over uh, the last service, but I found it in my notes and I circled it. And I was looking to Josh and Josh is like, brother, I can't. What are you talking about? I'm like, come on, you were with me. What did Alistair Beck say? He said a lot of stuff. You're not helping me. It was about the something or other. He's like, sorry. But Alistair Beck, what he was harping on pastors is it so easy in the church, we think Christianity is about behavioral modification. That becoming a Christian 
is about you change your behavior. You're really bad. You swear, you chew, you run with girls who do. And, that, and, and, and you need to fix that behavior. You need to look like Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. And no, there's no offense to Ned Flanders from the city. Like there's no problem. The issue isn't the externals. But in Christianity today, it's so easy to think, I need to change the outside. And, and as a new believer, for me, it took me years to realize that God created me. And I can be myself. And the redeemed gunner can have a pers- his own personality. I don't have to, to put on somebody else's personality, but that God can redeem me, that he's doing this work of the big um, blank $3 theological term that I'm, uh, uh, that's blanking me. Sanctification. Sanctification. Thank you. Star to Dave Johnson. (laughs) But the process of sanctification, that God's doing this work in me. But the work is it, I thought it was me trying to force this work to pretend to be something I'm not. When the reality is, It's this idea of coming to Christ. And when I believe upon him, that's it. Through faith in Christ, accepting him as my savior, I'm transformed. The scriptures tell me that I became a new creature, that I received the Holy Spirit. And through this understanding, this change of my mind, repentance, metanoia, the metamorphosis that a butterfly goes through or a moth or whatever, that this change begins to happen. An internal thing, the work of God. Not that I'm striving after it, but as my mind changes about what God says, I'm created into this new creature. And it's wonderful. It's life transformation. And and that's the good news of the gospel. And then he gives him this promise in verse 49. He says, and behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my father upon you. But you are to stay in this city until you are clothed with power on high. He tells him, hey, the spirit's coming. You're going to uh, something different's about to happen. But just hold your horses. Wait. It's coming. You'll know it when it happens. And he led them out as far as Bethany. So Bethany, if you're at the temple, you would walk down the hill going east. You would walk up the hill to the Mount of Olives. And just outside of there is Bethany. It's where Jesus would retire when he came to Jerusalem. He would spend his nights in Bethany. And so they're getting close to this location. And it says that he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And I love this. And if when we go into Matthew 28, it says that they they went up. Or maybe no, I'm mean, take that back. It's in Acts chapter one when Luke kind of continues the story in Acts one. But Luke says that, that that Jesus then after he blesses them, he ascends into heaven. And as he gets up, as they're like losing sight of him, it's like this cloud like engulfs them, and they're standing there going, "Wow." And two angels appear and say, what are you looking at? And some of the questions in the Bible just make me crack up. It's like they were, Luke records it way more gracefully. I said, what are you talking about? The Messiah just floated up into heaven. And they're like, and what did he tell you right before he left? Go back to Jerusalem and wait. But before they do this, we see in verse 52. And they, after worshiping him. See, when you come to Christ and you realize who he is, when you see his deity, his Godhead, that he created and sustained the universe, that he holds all things together, and there's no other box that you can place him in other than Christ, Messiah, Lord, Savior of all, all you can do is bow down and worship him. 
Whenever people get a glimpse in the scriptures, they fall on their face in adoration of him. And here the early church, or the early the disciples here, they're worshiping him. They return to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. This is why we exist. This is what Valley Baptist Church needs to keep it the first. What do people in town know about Valley Baptist Church? Oh, those guys, they just worship Jesus. They worship him continually and praise him. They love him. It's not about good works. It's not about, I mean, all that stuff God does, but it's about Jesus. It's the banner that we fly under. It's he's Lord. Everything that we have, it's because of him. And I want us to go back to Matthew chapter 28, the great commission that is affectionately known as by so many. In Matthew's account, we get a sort of a different flavor. And in verse 16, kind of begins, Matthew 28, verse 16, Matthew's very last little, his take on that day. He writes, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him. This is where they end. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Matthew, Matthew's a Jewish man writing from the position that he wants to show his Hebrew brothers that Christ fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecy as Messiah. And what he wants to show the Jews, it's, it's not just about us. We, he came through Israel, but then we're to go out to all the nations. And they're here, they're worshiping him. And as Jesus comes up to them, speaking to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. How much authority does Jesus have? All. Just in the county, the district that he lived in, that he walked in? No. On all the earth and all the heavens. All authority, ultimate authority is Jesus's. It has all been given to me. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. In that long sentence, there's one verb. And the verb is to make disciples. Everything else is a participle. And I'm going far beyond grammatically where I can explain. But the, the importance is like the, the essence of this. The action is that they are to make disciples. These 11 guys. He says, make disciples of your friends and family, your neighbors. They say all nations. Can you imagine these four eleven guys? Jesus, I barely got my whole my life together. Like my family, like I, the whole world. You you want us to to make disciples? What's a disciple? One who follows after a rabbi, the rabbi being Jesus. Make disciples of the whole world, all the world. Oh, we're in trouble. See, but it's not about us. It's about him. It's his work. When I came to Valley Baptist Church early on, there was some very trying moments. Some, 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 I really am thankful for Valley Center because you can see the stars at night. Because there was many a night I lay out in the weeds staring at the stars going, God, what are you doing to me? Why am I here? 
is there any way out? <laughs> and I realized that knowing that you're called by God for something, I think happens in hindsight when you're, when you're somewhere and you just can't leave. And in that moment, somebody said to me, Gunnar, it's not your church. It's his church. It's his. You just be faithful to him and he'll guide and direct. And I can't help but to think that that's, that's what these guys were feeling like. They'll, they'll reach the whole world. Okay, Jesus, we'll check that off the box. You know, like, we'll reach the whole world. Well, and as this, the making disciples, like this is, well, what is making disciples? This is the mission statement of Valley Baptist Church. Like, I don't write it up. I'm not a big thing. It's just, this is what this says. To make disciples. Well, there are people who don't know Jesus as Savior. Well, the first step in discipleship is coming to know Christ as Savior. Then the next step, as you learn to live your life in obedience, the next step is to be baptized. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this picture, which will have a baptism in July. This, this picture of your old life dead apart from Christ, your new life being raised up in him alive, that he paid it all for you. And then from there, um, baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so this picture of the church's role, like it's not for me to come up with new gimmicks and like what are fads, what are things that we can do to reach people? The issue is, this is God's revealed word. And for me, which I'll get into what I feel like my calling is here, is to teach this. Because this is how we unleash the transformation that's taking place in our hearts if we've received Christ. If you're not a believer, it's through this that God will use to help you to come to faith in Christ. And so he gives him this, this big mission. And in Acts chapter 2, as the story unfolds, going back to the end of Luke... We see that Jesus ascends. Luke picks up that story and he says, you know, <clears throat> I think I already quoted it, but I was so proud of myself. I got it. I'm, a, you know, my first Bible memory verse that I ever got, Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And he's so like, okay. He ascends. They go back 10 days later and on Pentecost, they're sitting in the upper room. All of a sudden, the sound like fire, this, the spirit comes upon them. This hundred, I, think, I think it was 120 people receive the spirit, and they begin proclaiming the good news of Christ. They weren't speaking in their own language. These are Jewish guys from Galilee and whoever else was there. They're all Jewish. But see, during Pentecost, all the Jewish people from around the world, the Hellenized Jews that spoke different languages, they were Jewish, but their original language was a different language. It was like us going, to, if we went to Jerusalem to, during one of the, the festivals, the, the language of Israel is Hebrew, but there's going to be people speaking English. There's going to be people, Brazil, the Brazilians are there in mass. God bless the Brazilians. They're zealous. <laughs> they're fun to be around. They're kind of crazy. You know, it's kind of, they make me uncomfortable a little bit, but it's kind of fun also. <laughs> It's just so I'm just, you know, I don't have any rhythm. I don't clap. I don't do anything. I just kind of sit there. And, and uh, not that I'm opposing that stuff. I just don't have, you know, it's, it's a different issue. But then you get there and you get all of these languages. And when I went to Israel, there was nothing more special than, than those moments of being like at the, at the synagogue in, in Capernaum and, and to be there with multiple nationalities 
And then suddenly, like everybody, to start singing Alleluia. Because Alleluia works in every language. And so you'd have like, like six different languages represented singing as one. Ah, goosebumps. I'm a little off track right now. But so at Pentecost, these, these people who didn't speak, we'll say Mexican, we'll say Greek, we'll say Romanian, we'll say Mongolian, all of these people from around the world that that was their native tongue. Some of these guys who never spoke that language are speaking perfectly in that language. And they're hearing the message in their, in their native tongue, in their original culture, and lives are being changed. Those that are witnessing going, you guys been drinking? Are you all drunk? Yeah, because the last bar I went to when a bunch of drunk people, they started speaking perfect languages around the world. Peter stands up and he preaches his sermon to explain with this Peter who had just 50 days earlier denied that he knew Jesus three times. Stands up in this crowd of thousands of people, shares the gospel, explains everything. And at the end of this, we're told that about 3000 people come to faith in Christ and the church is formed. People from around the world. The, the gospel in that one preaching just spread because all these people would go back. Each of us in Christ, we can co- connect our spiritual DNA back to that sermon, which is amazing to think about. And that the word is still going forth. Then Paul, as the word goes forth, if you'll turn with me to Luke, I mean, Ephesians chapter 3. Towards the back of the Bible. So in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul, Paul would eventually be taken out as Acts unfolds. He's a great persecutor of the church. He killed Stephen. He's recorded for eternity as being, the, being there to kill the very first Christian for his proclamation in Christ. God doesn't give up on Paul. Paul, who was the leading Jewish scholar, was the Jew amongst Jews. The perfect guy for God to use to reach Gentiles. Because as he was trying to say, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no Mexican, there's no American, there's no Indian, there's no, we're one in Christ. As he would share this message, what better person to defend the tax from his Jewish brethren than this guy that has, you know, equivalent of a PhD from the leading like schools the Jew of Jews to basically defend them, to say, no, we're one in Christ. Don't, you, don't give me your pedigree. Mine's higher than yours. And as he begins the ministry of, of developing the church, what we know about the church, God used Paul to write so much of these epistles. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, well, really, we'll go back to verse 8. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things. Verse 10 says, so that this is a hyna clause in the Greek, which means it's the purpose statement. Everything that flows after this explains why he wrote the previous things. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, the local church. I am a huge fan of the local church. I love this church, but I'm a big church guy. God hasn't called 
of parachurch ministries. He hasn't called certain groups to do the work. He's called the church. Now, parachurch, it's not bad, but everything should flow from the, the, the local church. And I love that our ministry, our missionaries, they either are going places where there's no church to start a church or to partner with the local church, to, that the ministry bears out of the local church because God ordained the local church. It's not like the bunch of Christians sat around and saw, hey, look what the Kiwanis do. They have great, they meet once a week. They have breakfast. They kind of do like groups kind of this weekly meeting stuff kind of works out pretty good. Let's mimic that. That's not how it started. It started because Jesus said, I will build my church. And on this rock, the profession that Christ is the Messiah. And in Acts 2, he developed it. He it initiated it. And then the church grew and grew. And then Paul began teaching. And here he says that through the church, the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places might know this manifold wisdom of God. Like that's Valley Baptist. Like that's a pretty lofty sort of statement of why we exist. It would seem sort of intimidating. It is intimidating to me. And then I go back, it's not my church, it's Jesus' church. We just need to be faithful and do what he wants us to do here. And this stuff will happen. To think that he uses the church to reveal this mystery about him. It's beautiful. And if we turn the page, I really am tempted. I don't have time just to keep teaching through Ephesians. Ephesians is like my, it really is. I know I say it about every book in the Bible. Oh, this is my favorite. Ephesians is it. If there was one book, if I was like, had to go on escape and evasion, the world ended and I couldn't, I only could take five pages of scripture, it would be Ephesians. So I might get a little bit of the end of Galatians and a little bit of Philippians, depends. I don't even know how it laid out in my Bible, but it's not really important. But this book, D.L. Moody, at the end of his life, when he was asked, what was the, the spiritual highlight of your life? You've done so much. And his answer to them was, There was a time in my life when I took 30 days just to read Ephesians every day. And and through that time of just going through Ephesians, you'll get everything you need to know about Christianity in Ephesians. It really is Christianity 101. There's doctrine in here that will stump you for the rest of your life. Encourage you for the rest of your life is probably the better way. (laughs) There's stuff that will step on your toes to meddle with you. This last three chapters... So I'm not going to teach about it, but I really want to. But I'm going to skip down to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And here he starts teaching about that, that God has given, within the church, he's given gifts. Now, the church isn't the building. It's never the building. The building is just a nice piece of property that God gave us for, for the church to meet at. The church isn't the building. The people are the church. The church meets at this building. This is, this is paramount for us to understand. And then he gave the church, those who trust in Christ as Savior, he gave them gifts. Some of these gifts are within the role of like positions within the church. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And you see this process of those that, that were called to go out and to start things in new places. The apostles, like, I mean, there are the apostles that are the foundation. They went and started, which wasn't. And there was only these apostles that existed in the New Testament pages. But there are those in the church that I believe that sort of are like apostles, those that are sent out, that they want to go to these new places, start churches where the church doesn't exist. 
Then prophets who teach and proclaim and evangelists who go places and they just got to share Christ with everybody. I so don't have that gift. But there are people, there's a little girl Morgan in the first service that just she's like an evangelist. I went to a board meeting at Alternatives a couple months ago. And Megan, who serves on the board, she comes up to me and she's like, yeah, a little girl from your church came up and like totally like witnessed to me. I'm like, what? She's like, I was at the bowling alley. And this little like 10 or 11 year old girl came up to me and she handed me a track and she's like, do you know that Jesus loves you? Megan's like, I looked at her and I said, yes, I do. And I'm going to take this and be reminded of his love for me. And she's like, now what church do you go to? She said, I go to Valley Baptist Church in Valley Center. I'm like, oh man, I wish I, I like looked at me. I'm like, I so wish I had anything to do with that. You know, like that's like, don't give, I have no credit at all, but thank you for blessing me to share with that, that, you know, that for all, for all Morgan knew is that she was going up to a total heathen, which is really what I should have said to Megan. I'm like, man, what were you doing? That she didn't see Christ all over you. I have the gift. I have the gift of harassment. <laughs> That's why Larry loves me so much. But, but then getting on and pastors and teachers, which then suddenly my red flag goes up and my role here in the church as a pastor teacher. What's the whole purpose? Oh, my his Sundays roll around. You know, I love it when people. So when you start thinking about what you're going to say. Do you like just on your way to church, like make it up? I'm like, no, 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 no. It starts like right now. I'm like already terrified. What Psalm Lord do you want me to teach on next week? Like this great responsibility. What's my responsibility? The purpose of what I do. It says for the equipping of the saints. Now I was raised Catholic and I'm not bashing Catholics. I love Catholics. I have a lot of criticisms towards the Vatican. That's a totally different issue. But Catholics I love. I, love, I mean, that's like my hope. Like, like when it, like I kind of found God through, like, because the Catholic Church, what they're amazing at, they gave me the fear of God, and so like I felt like my like moral compass, my like not being able to succeed, like God used the Catholic Church in my life in a mighty way. But because of the Catholic Church, when I used to see saints, I thought saint meant okay, person dies. I forget exactly how long the person has to be dead for, but I think it's five years. And then a couple of miracles have to be accredited to this person after their death. And then all the evidence is kind of presented to a board or something, or the popes or the bishops or somewhere. And eventually they say, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, let's make this person a saint. Like right now, I think Pope John Paul, like this is like the big debate. In, like, was he a saint or was he not a saint? Did he do enough miracles? Did he not do enough miracles? Scripturally, he was a saint if he believed in Christ. Now, I can't answer that question. I don't know. God knows. But we're told in Scripture that those who have trusted in Christ, those who are believers, you're a saint. Now, I'm certainly not going around suggesting that we start referring to Larry as Saint Larry. (laughs) Even though theologically it's accurate. But we all are saints, holy, set apart. And so my role is to equip y'all. English doesn't have second person plural. The South does. But it's y'all, you all, all of you. To equip you for the work of service or ministry, as some translations read. Now, I'm not in ministry because I'm a pastor. I'm in ministry because I'm a Christian. 
And, and there's confusion in the church today that thinks that ministry means that you're a pastor or you're a missionary or you're something. But if you're a Christian, you're in ministry. You're in ministry. You could sell insurance. You're in ministry. You could be a mom. You're in ministry. God's given you those little people to, to disciple and to equip. And dads, of course, are included in that. You could work at Target. You could Whatever you do, you're in ministry. I just happen to be a pastor. But I'm in ministry because I'm a Christian. And my role is to help connect your hands to God. To say, hey. If you're a Christian, we know for sure from Scripture you have at least a spiritual gift. To use it. You can't steer a parked car. So I, I felt like God wanted me to serve, so I tried out for the children's ministry. That lasted like one, well, it might have lasted three times because Anna was working down there. So I was, I had a little motivation to give it a second or third shot. I'm like, yeah, that's so not my thing. Like just little kids. Give me big kids. And then I, you know, you just start stepping out. And then as you move, like I get people all the time, like, I really feel like God's calling the church to do this. And I look at him and I say, well, I think God's calling you to do that. Like if he stirred it in your heart, maybe he's calling you to get going. So my job is to kind of help enable you guys to, to kind of get going, to serve. Okay, where are we going? It's about people. But as people begin to grow, this whole idea of the great commission like it just doesn't happen globally it happens right here in valley center like we're here to make disciples of valley center people of escondido people of palma valley everywhere around us it extends to to mexico san diego county la even though i'm not called to la i don't even like driving through la but they need jesus especially raiders fans now that albert jr is here (laughs) um But then God will raise up people that he'll put burdens on their heart that he's gifted. Now, you guys all know Dr. Hare. He came last fall and he shared while I was in Europe. And when I was in class with him one day, he kind of said, oh, you know, I, I, I think I don't want this to come off the wrong way. But he probably said it a little more eloquently, like, brothers, now, I really don't like my students reading too many missionary books. Like, Whoa, what do you mean? He's like, I can't tell you how many students I've had over the years that read Hudson Taylor's book and what God did in Hudson Taylor's life. And then they're buying tickets to China. And God never called them to China. And they go there for two weeks. And then they're like, I'm not called to China. And they come back. So you read these stories. You take principles. You learn from their example. And then you say, well, God, what is this? how does it apply to my life? There's a big misconception that being a missionary is like the top, top, top tier of Christianity, and I know that when I visited Mongolia, Heidi wanted to make it sure you make sure they know we're not perfect. I thought, oh, we know, we know. <laughs> they're just they're just people who love Jesus that God called them to Romania, Romania, just going the wrong way to Mongolia to wherever. But He does raise up people, and He does call the church at large to go overseas. And when I first came here and we had the eight of us, or even in my little job interview back in the little room, I was trying to talk my way out of this thing. And one of my criticisms of the Southern Baptist Convention, and really a lot of denominations, is 
there's a benefit to cooperating with groups to kind of help, like, hey, we're on mission for this thing. We want to, to serve in this area. But a criticism I have of even this, uh, just Southern Baptist, I don't, I don't, not in any other denomination, is that, oh, we give to the cooperative program, so we give 100 bucks, and then like a couple percent or whatever eventually makes it to the mission field, and we've kind of checked the box for missions. It, and when I sat there at that meeting of like the five leadership people at the time, that was like the whole church. Lloyd Beth wasn't there. I think she was out of town that weekend. But she's like, I just trust whatever they say. I'm on board with whatever. You know, she's just a sweetheart. And, and I said, but God hasn't called denominations to send missionaries into plant churches. He's, call, he's called the local church. I think I mentioned I'm a big local church guy. Like God's ordained the church. And so I'm like, I really think that, you know, we don't give much, but what I want to do is to start adopting like real missionaries that we can partner with. And Josh and I, Anna has known Josh's family for like a long time since they were, since they were like, you know, like high school or junior high or something. And I did a wedding for, I got out of the Navy. I did a wedding for a SEAL buddy of mine. It's like, oh, there's Josh Manning. So I go introduce myself to him and man, we like hit it off right away. I had no idea about Valley Baptist Church. I did the wedding we were apparently standing on the dance floor, not really paying attention, but we're talking about church planning, the things of the Lord. And then about an hour into it, it's like these people are like bumping into us and baby got back, came on all of a sudden. I'm like, hey, I bet we could find a better place to talk. And it's like, okay, let's go. And uh, so we just had a great time of fellowship. And then it was a, a couple months later, I found out about Valley Baptist Church. And I was like, it's June 25th, one month. I hadn't even moved to Valley Center yet said, hey, Josh, could you do me a favor? Would you be willing to come up to Valley Baptist Church and just to share about what God's doing in your life? I'm like, we can't offer you any money. Like, I don't even know how I'm going to eat. Like, like, but, but would you be willing to come? Because I want to get, I want to put missions in the, the, this global perspective into the congregation. And so they came up. And I think there were like 20 of us that day. And they only had two kids at the time. I had, we had our one kid. And so we had a handful of us. And they came and they shared and we started adopt. We started just partnering with them. And God's been faithful. And through this whole journey, God's done a big work in my life, kind of showing us, like, you know, missionaries aren't just people we cut a check to. They're, the missionaries that we support, they're a part of our fellowship. And, and I'm a shepherd over them. And so we really, and I love that this church is so on board with ministering to our missionaries and caring for them. And we put their pictures up. We want to keep them on the front of our brains so that we remember to pray for them, to care for them. And so I asked Josh on our flight over, I said, hey, would you be willing to come and to share kind of? And I said, I don't want you sharing about your future. They're about to go to Romania, so they're going to share about their future. But I asked Josh, I'm like, well, it's been five years and God's used you, the Manning family, to help the health of Valley Baptist Church. And so he's going to kind of share how our partnership has affected them overseas. It's so true what Gunnar was saying about the local church being made up of individuals. You all, it has nothing to do with the building. And I think we have felt the effects of that truth um, in each individual in many different ways over these last five years and continuing right now. There's been so many different areas that we just are impacted because it's not an organization. It's an organism here. It's living. And, uh, and it is... God's work. It is Christ's church. And we say that flippantly sometimes, but it truly is different than other places and groups of people. We are unique and we, we have, we have real life. And 
So just to encourage you all to remember, yes, the numbers were lacking when we came five years ago, 18, I think that was what the count was. And it's, it's so wonderful and encouraging to see so many more people um, added to this body since then. But, but really more than that, the, the individual believers that are represented here, that we know God's work has been taking place again and again and again. And that's really, that, that spiritual quality that grows is really where it's at. And that has encouraged us. And I'm going to share why in just a minute, but I did want to share the first that I stole from Chris, not knowing. So I'm going to steal it again, um, since he did really well with the other verse he pulled up real quick from the back row there. But, um, and then he'll really interpret it you know, correctly and apply it in the real way that you need to hear it applied. But I'm going to go with it here. First, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. And just Paul's focus on the Thessalonian church is obviously not in numbers. He doesn't say, boy, I'm thankful for you because you've grown a bunch. You know, you're hip and happening and you're drawing, drawing all the crowds in. That's not what he's focused on. It's because they have grown exceedingly in their faith. And that's what I mean by, by the, that individual nature of the church. So many individuals making up a body um, is key. And that's what Paul was excited about. Also, the love that they shared with each other. And Heidi and I were talking about this, and sometimes we think of when we are focused on one another in our, in our comfort zone, in our context, like let's say Valley Baptist, we think of something that might be ingrown or something that's negative. But really when it is the fact that we are walking by faith, we are growing in our faith in Christ, and by nature of that, we start experiencing the love of Christ and we share it with each other like you all have, it can't help but to go outward. It doesn't just stay inbound and ingrown like we think of. The love of Christ is other-centered. It's sacrificial. It's not me-centered. It's other-centered. And because of that, then, we are examples, then, of that love that has impacted us. We've never been really a part of the body in an intimate way, more so this year after coming back from Mongolia than ever, but never before. And yet, the Lord has led you through the work he is doing here by growing your faith and the love that you share because he lives in you, and you have this love and you're sharing it with each other, that love then extends to all these other facets of this body, which would be us, the Manning family. And I know the guesses would say the same thing and others. Um, and, and that's where we have experienced um, this, this incredible growth and, and exciting celebration that we're celebrating today, that this church is, has become something that is going beyond these walls and even the community, but in the uttermost parts of the world right now. Um, through our family and others. And that is, that is very, very exciting. Um, just ways that you've done that. Uh, the, the financial aspect is wonderful. We need the prayers and the, and, and that's, you can't even put a, a price tag on the, on the prayer support and that investment. But, but sometimes, like Gunnar said, we think, you know, the physical part, the, the physical part of supporting is where it's at with supporting missionaries. But, we can stand here and be testimonies to the fact that it's that life-on-life investment that, again, started here among this body um, through the love that's here and that it's extended to us. Um, we have felt that through so many, so many ways with you sending Pastor Gunner and Richard um, a couple of years ago to Mongolia to visit us and uh, 
to uphold us in the trenches. Um, that is a, that's a gift that I, I, not that it was more than prayer itself, but I know there was prayer invested in that trip alone so much before you even sent them and as they went. And since then, it's, it's raised the light level on what God's doing in Mongolia for you all. And so it's just this continuing pro- process of how you continue to give and invest in us. Um, just amazing. And, and even now, as we're facing these unknowns of how to get back to Mongolia, um, how we have had to ask the church, this local body and others, but specifically this one, to help out in how to get back to where we think the Lord's calling us, um, but at the same time to know that it's, again, it's beyond the, the material aspect. We're asking for spiritual help and insight and the gifts that Gunnar was talking about that are within the body. The fact that we, even as those that are paid to go do this, are having to draw from people that have professions and skills in areas that we don't, like in business, so that we can get back to Mongolia and to see the body give and invest and to, again, to express that love, again, that's here, but that is going to transcend these walls and this community, but that can't help but to go outward. And we, again, are recipients of that. So just in so many ways, your investment has been incredible. And the work that he has done, again, the quality, the spiritual quality that's grown, not the numbers as much as the content of what he's teaching you and and how that's blessing our socks off in so many different ways through individuals in this church. And and I I can't even tell you, you can go into it again and again, just different ways that he is is using you. But to be encouraged. And and it was so neat too, to, to realize that there is such a focus on reaching this community. Um, here in, at Valley Baptist, I have to stutter every time I say the name because we have two VBCs, Valley Baptist and Verde Baptist, and it's like, Verde, Verde Valley, like it's Baptist. Um, anyways, just, I do that every time. I'm like, how, I should just say VBC because then I'm safe either place I am. Um, but how the, the, the heartbeat of calling the, the Hansons Gunner and Anna and their family was to see this church impact this community. And I think that is so neat that that heart has carried through to other places like Mongolia and Romania and, and, it, and, and to many, many others. Uh, but it started here in this body that there was this idea that we need to be effective right where we are, not just to give the work to those that are professionals that are overseas. No, that's not what it was at all. There, there was this heart to reach this community that has the same needs, different context, but same same needs to be met, and uh, and that's exciting. I think that's one of those reasons that the the work that he's begun here has extended to people like us and the guests and many others. So I encourage you and to keep on keeping on in that way because it is impacting us in ways that again I can't even go into all of them right now. Um, we're discovering more and more ways that that is blessing us. Um, your investment, but we praise the Lord for you. But to see like we we partnered with one of our missionaries that they're in Beijing. She grew up in the youth group. And then Josh and Heidi came on. We eventually then partnered with Alternatives Women's Center right in the shadows uh, over the hill. And, you know, yesterday was this fundraiser. And I was so blessed as a competitor. I'm very, very competitive. That We had a group that said, okay, we represent Valley Baptist Church, and we're going to raise money. We got third place. And the only two churches that beat us were Calvary Chapel Escondido or Cross Connection. They just changed their name. They're like a church of about 1,000 people. And then Emmanuel Faith. I'm like, we really took first place. I'm like, if you took a, like percentage wise, but to see that we're like invested there, and and then 
you know, we, we brought in the, um, the Giorgi family, like we partnered with them in Florence, Italy, and that it, God's doing a great work through them and that we are very much a part of them. We have um, the Nichols family with the Bible translators in Africa and to see God using them. And, and, and really, Chris Guess and uh, Mihaila and Chris, Chris is going to come up and he's going to share. Um, I think about a year ago, as he's going out, you know, desperately on Facebook, you know, he, he's contacted every person he knows and even people he doesn't know. And he's running out. And he's like, can anybody help me? I need, I need support to go to Romania. And I'm like, hey, man, come up and share with us. We, eh, we, we can't afford to give you anything. Maybe, maybe 20 bucks a month. And like me of little faith and to see us like they are now all of our missionaries are on the same level, at, you know, at, a, at 200 bucks a month, which is just blows me away to, to think about how we're investing. And so what I did ask him is they're leaving on July 4th. We raised the money at our church to, to basically kick them out of the door. We bought their plane tickets. They're going on July 4th because that's the cheapest day to fly if you want to leave the United States. And so... Um, <clears throat> So he's been up since, you know, he got home one in the morning and I asked him to share about what God is doing and what does the, the, the future look like for them. Sitting on a plane last night sometime after midnight, somewhere over California working my way. It was my fourth leg. I'd missed a flight by literally 30 seconds. They were in the process of closing the door. I got there. I'm like, I'm here. Yeah, it's too late, buddy. So... It was a long day. It was about 20, 28 hours of, of travel, um, which shouldn't have been that long, but that was obviously from Pennsylvania, 20, 28 hours. Um, it was rough. But in that process, I'm, I'm somewhere over California. It's a little after midnight, and I'm awake because a few rows back, four or five rows back, there's a newborn baby screaming at the top of her lungs. And I, I was thinking good thoughts. You know, maybe the airline should distribute pamphlets on, on how to distribute Benadryl to your baby when you're traveling. Uh, different things were flowing through my mind. Uh, it was midnight. I was kind of kind of tired. Um, and uh, the the one real happy thought that popped in my head was, next time I'm on a plane, I'm going to Romania. July 4th right around the corner. Very exciting time for us, um, for me and my wife and the kids. They don't really know what they're getting into, but they're excited because we're excited. And so uh, that was going through my head. Uh, we're going to Romania. Uh, the things we're going to be doing, I'll be doing language school and really evangelism and discipleship. I spent the week back east uh, in a training on just really how to some extra tools and techniques in my evangelism and discipleship using cross-culturally. And, and so that was fresh on my mind. I had a book I was reading regarding that. And then I got excited because I'm going to get to see the family. I haven't seen my family in a week. And for us, a week's a long time. We have friends in the military that go months on end and don't see family. I don't know how they do that. But uh, for us, a week, I was very excited to get home, see my kids asleep, I give them a kiss, see my wife. And just tell her that I missed her and, and just kind of reunite as a family. And so that was exciting. And then I realized I don't have keys to get in. Um, I don't know how this is going to work out. Lots of thoughts just flowing through my head. And then realizing that we had to get up and leave uh, El Cajon to make it up here by 830 for, for morning service. And uh, not, not a big deal for me because I was excited. Every time we come up here, we're, we're encouraged uh, every time we have any connection or communication with this church, we're just it's encouraging to us uh, to walk in and see all the missionaries uh, that you guys support on the wall out in the foyer. Or what do you guys call it? Foyer works? It's a foyer. Um, to come and sit down with my kids and just see 
you know, the missionary families coming up on the screen uh, and knowing that you guys are praying for us just encourages my heart. Talking with people as we get to know you over over the time of visiting and, and being up here with you, um, a real encouragement for us, uh, knowing that every month you guys support us and then, you know, you, you collected money to, to buy tickets so we could go and, and get there. Uh, just continual blessing after blessing. And... Uh, like Josh said, I had a verse I was going to share. It was a great verse. He stole it. That's how good it was. And so uh, I, I flipped the Psalms. Um, Psalm 127, actually. Uh, it's a verse Solomon's writing, talking about building. And, and he says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, the labor is in vain for the one who built it. Unless the Lord guides, guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. And just the idea that Solomon built the temple, if God wasn't the center, as Gunnar said, if Christ isn't the center here, then it, then it's for nothing. If, if the Reader's Digest is the center of Valley Baptist, it, it can grow big, but it's worthless. It's, there's no point to it. And, and Solomon's saying the same thing. He built this temple for the Lord. Uh, if you go to First Kings, you can read the parallel passage. And, and it prospered and it was successful because it was the Lord's. And the Lord was the center. The Lord was the banner of what he did. And I look at this church and uh, just knowing who you guys are as a church and what you're doing and just seeing your hand in our lives and their lives and the other missionaries you support and just knowing that you're really reaching around the world, not just here in this community. It excites me knowing that your banner is the Lord. And uh, that's what we're taking with us. The, the Lord is our banner. The Lord is the reason we're going um, to Romania. And uh, we're just excited to see what he's got in store for us down the road. Came up during last service, but they're in Sunday school now. And I, I, they're at a very exciting time in their life. And we want to pray for them to send them off. And I thought the best person to do that was, you know, Josh has had many sleepless nights and the concerns, and he, he probably can pray for them more acutely than, than the rest of us. He'll know exactly how to pray for them. And I just asked if Josh would be willing to pray for, for the guest family. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for Chris and Mahila, Lord. Thank you so much for the calling that you've placed in their life. Father, we do praise you that, Lord, you have such big things that are only your size. Amen. Amen. All right, if you'll turn to Colossians chapter 1, we'll, we're going to end with Colossians chapter 1. And uh, I know my stomach is grumbling for carne asada and pollo asada. I can hear the banging. Make sure you thank all of the people that helped serve during the service. Um, but I want to end with Colossians chapter 1, sort of as a teaser for two weeks as we enter into Colossians. Uh, Paul, who is very much this pastoral um, apostle for the church. Um, this section in Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14, if you ever are burdened to pray for somebody, but you don't know how to pray for them, I would encourage you to come to this passage. And this passage, you can pray for anybody, and God will use it in a mighty way. And in verse 9, what Paul starts out with, as he looks at this church, Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey, uh, outside of Ephesus, he says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask 
that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual under, uh, spiritual wisdom and understanding. That, that's his main point. The, the reason he's praying is that there they would come to understand the knowledge of God's will through spiritual wisdom and understanding. As our minds get it, everything else follows. So if we know God's will and we understand it clearly, that's going to change everything. And in verse 10, it's, there's this sort of this purpose statement, this other Heineklaus, so that the reasons that he prays this, he's going to list a bunch of reasons that he's praying this for them. That if, they, if you understand and I understand God's will in my life through spiritual eyes, verse 10, I will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So as I come to understand what Jesus did for me, that, you know, as that great old hymn says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. This word worthy is axios in the Greek, which means ax, it's where we get the word axiom, like a, something that balances out. The, the, if, if Jesus died for us, if he paid it all for us, and we have new life in him, it seems reasonable that we would live our lives in a way that's pleasing to him. Not, not trying to earn our salvation, but out of, out of thankfulness and gratitude for our salvation in him. He goes on to say, to please him in all respects, that, that our lives, how we, like as we change our understanding and as our understanding affects how we live through our transformed lives, it's pleasing to the Lord. In Ephesians 4.30, we're told, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, which our lives and how we live, like God has emotion and he, we can make him happy or we can make him sad. That if we as his children, now we don't lose our salvation, but to think that God weeps over us when we go against his word and, and that we're not following him in love. But to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in knowledge of God. So as we live our lives, we come to know God more intimately. I think in service and walking with him, we come to know him in a, in a whole new sort of dimension. Looking back on this day, looking back over the last five years and reflecting over the things that God has done, it's like, man, God really has been faithful and it increases my knowledge of how good he is and how reliable he is to us, even in difficult times. Verse 11, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, the stability. One of the things during this, this breakout session with Alistair Begg he, he's just such a thinker. I, I know it's bad when, when I spend time with somebody and my conviction that I get is I need to think more. I, need to, I really need to spend more time thinking because this guy's a thinker. And, and he's, he's saying that he's really like with his words that, that a day will come when he signs his last email, when he says his last goodbye on the phone, when he has his last moment with somebody before the Lord takes him home. And so he considers how he signs his letters and how he signs his emails. And I'm thinking, oh man, dude, all I say is blessings. I really got to like think about this and restructure. And one of the things he said, look, one of his signatures is stay steady. Like, and he's like, it's a reminder to me that as I walk with the Lord, I need, I need God's stability. And the, the Bible describes this, that don't, don't let the waves of life kind of toss you all over. See, we have the word. God's revealed himself. And as life happens to us, if we're grounded in his word, like Psalm 1 says, our roots go deep and there's, there's stability. I've been on little boats in the ocean on, on mild days where it's like, oh, man, I'm going to get sick to my stomach. It's so bad. 
Then I've been on aircraft carriers where I feel this little sway. I'm like, man, it must be really bad out there. You go out there, it's like gale force hurricane. But the stability of the aircraft carrier, you don't even notice it. And as we go deep with our walk with the Lord, it, it brings with us stability, patience. When the guy steals your brand new weed whacker, which happened to me this week. But that's a whole nother story. I'm patient with that. Because God will provide. And he did. Okay, patience. I know I'm on patience. I just got to find it. Pun intended there. I uh, Steadfast in patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father. Like this heart of walking with Lord and growing that there's... There's just joy in giving thanks to him. And why do we give thanks to him? Well, he says he's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Like, like we're qualified. Like, you didn't have to run a race. Like, I, you know, I've never run the Boston Marathon and I never will. But if you run the Boston Marathon, you've got to get a qualifying time. You have to earn a certain slot. Well, how did we earn our qualification to become children of God? Nothing. He qualified us to share in the inheritance. Verse 13, for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness. What a, in Ephesians, that great book. Teaching through it, I stumbled across probably one of the most offensive verses in the Bible. In Ephesians 5.8, it says, you who were formerly darkness. I always thought it said, you who were like standing in darkness. Like that you're naturally a good person, but you just happen to be kind of caught in the shadows of darkness and bad things. And God just moved your good self over into the good light. But it says, you who were darkness, you might have been in the shadows, but you were dark. And here when he prays that we praise the father because he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And that was you. And transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That we have our passports for heaven. As he writes in Philippians. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we give thanks to him for that. In whom we have redemption. Redemption. A word that we don't know anymore. But I see it in a very real way. You know we buy all this water from the church. And I I go to Costco. It's 36 bottles. This is going to invent a little bit here. Costco advertises the price of the water for three seventy five, but when you check out, it's like five something. CRV, little fine print. You you like pay for the water bottles, and if you want your money back, you can get it back. You just go turn into the recycling company. But if you want your money, you got to do it. And Alberto collects all of them, and they use it kind of for gas money and stuff. But each of us, every human being has a redemption value because Jesus on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. That first Peter two, one says that those who reject the master who bought them, they deny the one. They're not Christians, but they have a redemption value because Jesus redeemed them and it's activated through faith in him. That you believe in what he did, not by your good works, not by earning salvation, by simply believing. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's enough to praise God for. And so this is my prayer for us as a church. This is an outline. We don't have enough time. I'm already over. 
But my prayer is that we would grow in our understanding of God's will. And if we understand God's will and we actually follow through and live our life in a way that's pleasing to him, great things will happen. And Father, we do thank you, Lord, that it's not about us. I love what Alistair Begg said about the best of men are men at best. It's not about us. It's about you. And Father, we ask that you would help us to keep Christ at the center of our lives, at the center of this church. Father, we look to you for your wisdom. Father, help us to discern your will in our life. Lord, help us to walk faithfully with you all the days of our our life. We love you, Lord. We praise you and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.